Hey y'all, it's me, Kate, and welcome to Rant Your Heart Out, Georgetown, a podcast about info dumping on your latest fixation. And now, introducing my first guest, myself. Hello, I am Kate Clark. I am a student here at Georgetown. I am from New York, and my favorite color is green. I feel like we really know each other now. My current fixation is art history, specifically the debates surrounding what art is and is not. A lot of this debate surrounds modern and contemporary art, but it's basically any art that people dried with, oh, I could do that, or that's not real art, or come on, that is just a urinal. I will be returning to that last one, by the way. Do not worry, I will not leave you hanging. It's going to be a journey to get there, though. Okay, I want to start with an exhibit called Invisible, Art About the Unseen, 1957-2012. to So this exhibit opened in 2012 at a gallery in London. Let's imagine the scene together. Let's put ourselves there you see a piece of empty space. Now that, my friend, is Tom Friedman's untitled, parentheses, a curse, 1992. Over on the right, you see a piece of paper that looks very wet. That is Zondong's writing diary with water, 1995. And right in front of you, you see an empty pedestal on which Andy Warhol stood very briefly, called Invisible Sculpture, 1985. I believe he premiered that at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, as in he did get up on that pedestal and then get off. He wanted to make a point about how art can also be what isn't there. When I read about this exhibit, I almost started crying. So excited to have found this exhibit, and all these works of art. This kind of art, the art that challenges your preconceived notions, whether they be about art or about the world around you, about other people, so on and so forth. Art that riles you up. Another thing is that this art is all very self-conscious, and yet it's still very imaginative and thought-provoking and debate-inducing. This art provokes extreme reactions, both good and bad. Part of the reason why people don't like this kind of art is because of money. You know, buying something that quote-unquote isn't there, thinking that the artists creating these pieces are scam artists who just want money, that kind of thing. And yes, the artist may be aware that they are receiving money for quote-unquote nothing, but the patron, the person who is buying it, is buying it for a reason. They believe it is art, even if they are buying it as a joke. And the sheer creation of these invisible pieces is a form of performance art because you are 
thinking of an idea. You are thinking, oh, people put me on a pedestal, and if I got off, there's nothing there. What about the nothing? How could I make this a reality? Or, you know, you're thinking, I really want some money. What if I put a witch's curse on this piece of air and sell it? There's no invalidation that's possible with art, whether you like it or not. And even if the artist is just trying to get money, first of all, good luck. Unless you are well established in the art world already, you're not gonna make much. And second off, good for you. What about it? You are going to a nine to five office job just for money, baby. You might like your work, you might not, but you are doing it so that you can survive in this capitalist world we live in. I don't judge you, you don't judge me. I personally morally disagree with capitalism, but I'm not gonna spit in your face because you're doing what you gotta do to get by. Another reason people hate this contemporary modern art makes me upset. It's because they view these pieces as frauds, not financially, but spiritually, as if these pieces besmirch the title of art. They don't deserve the title of art. These people think, well, if we say that's art, then this should be mega art, you know, that kind of thing. They'll put a contemporary piece next to the Mona Lisa and say, one deserves the title art, one does not. Guess what, folks? The Mona Lisa was a commission. Leonardo da Vinci painted that for money, and it was just meant to be a painting for someone, a personal painting. The only reason that that painting is famous is because in, I want to say 1920, someone who worked at the Louvre absconded to Italy with it, and it being stolen made worldwide news and everyone heard about it and saw a picture of it in the paper. Of course the painting was returned to the Louvre in the end and so then masses of people flocked to see it. They wanted to see the painting that was stolen. They wanted to see a painting that drove someone to steal it from the Louvre and that's it. And they're going to see it made it a trend to go and see the Mona Lisa. And that is a trend we continue today for no reason. There are other works of art that I would value more to see in person than the Mona Lisa. And that's my personal opinion. I am not saying that the Mona Lisa cannot be art anymore. I am simply saying what is highbrow to you. What you say deserves the title of art is not what I may give the title of art, except I will because I believe everything is art, we'll get there. A lot of people say about contemporary art specifically, I could do that. Which, first of all, could you? There's a lot more in these paintings than you think. Let's put that right there. Anyway, a lot of people say in response to this, yeah, but you didn't. And I, I disagree with that. I feel like that's uh, very oversimplifying. I feel like yeah, but you didn't almost snubs that person in a way that says you can never be an artist. You didn't think of this. You don't have the artist's mind, which is bullshit. Straight up. The artist's mind is nothing. So I think more instead of, yes, but you didn't. Okay, so go ahead and do it. 
You know, if you see a piece of art and it inspires you to make art, whether that inspiration is spite, is wanting money, is an artistic vision, that's still inspiration. Go make art. And you can make a piece based off of whatever you saw inspired you, even if you're doing it for money. I don't care. Marcel Duchamp did a piece that was a reproduction of the Mona Lisa with a mustache drawn on it, okay? Like, there are no rules here. And like, what, you don't have the, the technical skills to be an artist? Okay, go study. I'm not saying go to college, get a fancy degree. I'm saying see as much art as you can. I'm saying practice. I'm saying find what moves you, find what you like, find what works for you, and go with it. It doesn't matter if you have the best teachers known to man or if you were born with an impeccable talent. It's about just going out there and doing it. And a lot of people will look down on artists and be like, you just slashed a canvas. I could do that. And technically, yes, okay, you can take a, a box cutter and slash a canvas. But guess what? What are you? You're an accountant? I can add numbers. Same thing. I could technically do your job. I would be bad at it, but I could probably do it. It's the same thing with art. You could go for it and do it, but it won't be the same. Okay, speaking about spite in the art world, I love this. I love this so much. Okay, so there's the sculptor, Anish Kapoor. Uh, he made uh, the Chicago Bean, which has a real name that I did not look up. And this man bought the exclusive rights to what is called Vanta Black, which is the blackest black material that you can use in painting in art. Like, this was made by scientists. And this man bought the exclusive rights to use it in art. And I hate him. He's not letting any other artist use that material. Or he's allowing people who can pay exorbitant, I'm sure, fee to use that. And this man is already a well-established man in the art world. He has money already. He had enough money to buy these exclusive rights. You know, he is doing okay. So, in retaliation, a British painter who is 25 years younger than Anish Kapoor, less established in the art world, less famous, this man, Stuart Semple, created the pinkest pink paint. And he sold this pinkest pink with a legal warning attached. By adding this product to your cart, you confirm that you are not Anish Kapoor. You are in no way affiliated to Anish Kapoor. You are not purchasing this item on behalf of Anish Kapoor or an associate of Anish Kapoor. To the best of your knowledge, information, and belief, this paint will not make its way into the hands of Anish Kapoor. This is one of the most spiteful things I have ever seen, and I... I'm in love with this. I'm in love with that man. I'm not, but I'm in love with that man. Anyway, Semple 
added that warning and sold this pink, expecting to sell a couple of jars, ex expecting for this to be more like a piece of performance art, except it went viral. Now, Kapoor then somehow got a hold of this pink paint and he posted on Instagram a picture of his middle finger covered in the pink paint, which like, okay, okay, you got your hands on it. Dude, that is not actually the point. You know that, right? Like the point is not actually you not using the pink as pink. The point is that the Stuart Semple is saying that you are a tyrant. You are being unfair. Here's a taste of your own medicine. Like, <laughs> sir, sir, this is a Wendy's. But the story's not done yet. Semple then made a black paint. First he made black 1.0 and it wasn't, it didn't have that depth. But he researched, he talked to other people, he found material and technology and ways to get as black a black as possible. Black 2.0 is just about as black as Vanta Black, except it is much cheaper both to make and to buy. It is non-toxic and it even smells like black cherry. Who does not love that? Come on. This paint is also uh, not for sale to Anish Kapoor. Rest in peace. He's not dead. <laughs> I also just, I don't, I don't see why people care. As in, why is it so important to you for this stick figure to not be art? Are you gonna look a five-year-old in the eye and tell them that what they made in kindergarten is not art? Like, yes, it's different when you tell a grown man that, but it's really not that different. This also, this also is not a new debate. One of my favorite art movements is the Dadaist movement, Dadaism. A quick history. Now, I have taken a class that covered this movement, um, but I also fact-checked what I'm about to talk about online, mostly Wikipedia, because I trust them with my life, um, but take that as you will. <laughs> so Dadaism started in the early 1900s as a reaction to World War One. You know, it's the dis disillusioned generation, the lost generation. Dadaism showed up mainly in Zurich, Switzerland, where a lot of artists in Western Europe uh, fled from World War One. The Dadaism movement was also in New York and Paris. So Dadaism is a, a little hard to explain in words, but here are a few stories on how some people believe the term Dada emerged for this art form, um, and I feel like these are pretty good examples on, on what encapsulates Dadaism. So one popular story is that a German artist took a letter opener and shoved it in and added dictionary and it stopped on the word Dada, which uh, was a colloquial French term for a hobby horse, which is like the broomstick with the 
fake corset that kids run around in. <laughs> Others say that um, it was named after like baby babbling, Dada, to mark the childishness and the, the absurdism of the movement. Still others say that it was just a sound rather than a word Dada. Sound was a staple in some works of Dadaism, mainly called sound poetry. A well-known sound poet was Hugo Ball. He wrote and performed the poem Carowayne in 1916 at the Cabaret Voltaire in Zurich, Switzerland. I say performed because it truly started as a performance. At the club, he would start off stage and begin talking and then move on stage and into the light. So first people could only hear what he was saying and then they could also see him and seeing him was a spectacle because <laughs> this man I think he looks kind of like a beetle, the bug, not the band. He had cardboard tubes encapsulating his two legs, his torso. Uh, he had a cardboard cape. He had a really tall cardboard chef's hat, cardboard lobster claws. It was beautiful. It is beautiful. Listen, Google Hugo Ball, spelled as it sounds, costume. You will not regret this. Okay, and now I'm going to recite the poem, Carowayne. As I will note at the end, I'm not going to put on a German accent. I am just going to say these words as they look to me. And I will get more into that after. Carowayne, Julefanto, Bambla, oh, Folly, Bambla. Grossica, mfa, abla, orum. Ekika Goramen, Higo Bloiko Rusala Huju, Halaka Halala, Anlogo Bung, Blago Bung, Blago Bung, Basso Fatica, Oo, Oo, Shampa Wella Wasa Olado. Hesh Tata Gorum Asir Sunbada Wulubu Sududu Ulubu Subudu Tumba Baumf Kasagama Baumf. I will now uh, leave a moment for you to applaud. Thank you. So, as I said, Hugo Ball first performed this in 1916, but in 1920, he published it in a data publication, and he created the typeset for it, which is why we know the different emphasis, like the different ways it could be spoken. You know, there's lines that are bolded, there are lines in different fonts, there are lines that are italicized. It's all these different ways of typing that provoke specific like thoughts uh, on what it sounds like based on where you've seen these fonts before, you know? So to me, I just read it how it sounds like it was written. And that was not like a real sentence, but I hope you know what I'm getting at because I'm not trying to, I'm not gonna say that again. And the way I just said it, it's not, it's not historically accurate at all. Hugo Ball wrote his sound poems because he wanted to write poems with his words versus known words. And my reciting it 
kind of made these words my words, you know, so this is another layer of art, just my recitation of this poem. Dadaism is, is wild. I highly encourage you to look it up and also I have a point for bringing it up. <laughs> uh, but first I want to like also set the scene in that this is the same time period, you know, as I said earlier, the Lost Generation, where uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald is writing, E.E. E. Cummings, James Joyce, Ezra Pound, T.S. Eliot, which, okay, T.S. Eliot wrote a book called Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats, and a man named Andrew Lloyd Webber later used this book as the lyrics to the musical Cats and its later movie version. Except in the movie there is an original song by Taylor Swift, which Kiss Kiss is beautiful, but isn't T.S. Eliot's work, but whatever. <laughs> that sounded so elitist. I don't care. It's cats. So the cats in Cats are called Jellicle Cats. I heard that T.S. Eliot got the word Jellicle Cats from a young, I want to say niece, trying to say the phrase Jolly Good Cats, but as a child with a British accent, so like, Jolly good cats, so like Jellicle, you know. Please don't rag on my on my British accent, and I will apologize immediately. I'm sorry. I I also bring up T. S. Eliot because there's this couple of lines uh, from the opening of his poem called "The Love Song of Alfred J. Prufrock," which to me screams Dadaism. So if you're a Bo Burnham fan, actually, you are going to recognize these words. Also, if you're a T.S. Eliot fan, you'll recognize them. Also, if you ever had to study <laughs> the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Anyway, so it goes like this. Let us go then, you and I, when the evening is spread out against the sky like a patient etherized upon a table. This man is the only man I respect. Him and Stuart Semple, it's a very exclusive group. You've heard about the debate, you've heard the modern day, you know what Dadaism is and how like that was the same debate, and now you're wondering, when does the urinal come into play? Well, my friend, right now, please, welcome to the stage, Duchamp's Fountain created by Marcel Duchamp in 1917. This is just about one of my favorite pieces of art. So Duchamp was a Dadaist in the early 1900s, and he wanted to test the Society of Independent Artists in New York because the Society claimed that they would accept any piece of art as long as the artist paid their entrance fee. Never say that. <laughs> never say that. So Duchamp took a urinal, turned it upside down, and signed it R. Mutt 1917 and sent it off. And the society rejected it, saying that it was not art. But the thing is, Dadaism included this type of sculpture called ready-mades. Ready-made sculptures were existing objects that were taken out of their original context and modified, put in a different context, changed from its original form. Such as, oh, let's say, taking a urinal out of a bathroom and putting it in an art gallery. So this piece comes up a lot in the is it or is it not art debate, especially because it is famous. It has blown up. Now, no one knows what 
happened to the original urinal. It's gone from the view of the public, at least. But in the 1960s, Marcel Duchamp made replicas. He made a bunch of replicas of his fountain. And those pieces were exhibited in museums, sold, bought, auctioned. They're known. Duchamp is known. You know, I'm sure he got money. I don't know because I don't do numbers, but I'm sure he got money. Also, a quick note, there's some talk that perhaps a woman friend of Duchamp came up with this idea or made the original piece and he signed it and sent it off, but there's nothing conclusive. The fact that a urinal has sparked such a huge debate is art. Taking a urinal out of the bathroom and putting it on display is art, if only for the reactions you'll get. Yes, you could say it's making a statement. You could, you could say it's saying something. You could say Marcel Duchamp wanted to say this, to show this, to make people think, to make people angry. Whatever it is, whatever the intent was, the outcome was still reactionary, which is part of why it's art. Marcel Duchamp also called it art uh, as a creator, and so, in my opinion, that makes it art, period. Also, the viewers, when seeing it, get a visceral reaction to a urinal, upside down, signed, next to, next to what, a, a painting by Pablo Picasso? I love it. So my shortcut in talking about art is that I believe if someone calls it art, it is art. Whether it's the artist, the viewer, a buyer, a seller, a random person walking by, if someone says that is art, boom, it is art. It is art. Let it be art. Now, my father is a very big fan of playing devil's advocate. So he would say something like, but what if I just pointed at that blank wall, called it art, and demanded $5,000 for it? Well, okay, let's get into this. Let's say, to begin with, that my father, the artist, is not sincere in calling it art. But if someone genuinely pays $5,000 for that wall, they on some level see it as art, whether it's a joking performance art, whether it's something he could use, some material he could repurpose in the future, whether he just thinks it's beautiful or thoughtful, provoking, it is art. This entire scenario could be called performance art. That wall is a ready-made sculpture. My father is now a gotta sculpturist. Taking that wall out of its context of a home makes it art. Trying to sell a wall for an experiment is art because you're trying to get a reaction. The word art is not diminishable. There's no maximum limit of art. In the world. I could look at Starry Night by Vincent Van Gogh and then look at my Instagram feed, follow me at k underscore e underscore c, and say these are both art and one does not diminish the other. And the thing is, my calling 
my Instagram page art has no impact on you unless you want to get involved, in which case you're just helping me make it art. I love it. And this isn't to say you can't not like art. There's plenty of art I dislike. I do not like Banksy, for one. I am not saying that Banksy is not an artist, that he does not create art. You can say Duchamp's fountain is the ugliest thing I've ever seen and I do not like it. That is so fine that I so am, I so encourage you to have selective opinions, okay? But you can't then look at me and say, I do not like it, so it is not art. That's just not how the world works. I could look at my calculus homework and say, I do not like this, and so it is not homework, and that does not make it go away. <laughs> Okay, I want to leave you with one last piece of Dadaist art. So, this is 4.33, also known as 4 minutes and 33 seconds, uh, which was composed by John Cage in 1952. I'm only going to play a little bit for you. Okay, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Some may say that it's 4 minutes 33 seconds of silence, but what Cage was trying to create was 4 minutes and 33 seconds of listening to your environment. When this is performed, because it is performed, uh, the musicians will put down their instruments and sit there, and there's still sound. There's still breathing. There's still people in the audience. The audience is probably confused and making noises. And it's listening to your environment. I think we should all listen to the whole piece sometime. These days, I think we could all use more art. Okay, that's enough sincerity for one day. This has been Rant Your Heart Out, Georgetown, with me, Kate. Thank you for listening to me rant my heart out. This was very cathartic, and I am now going to take a nap at 9pm. Wish me luck. If you are interested in ranting your own heart out, email me at kec265 at georgetown.edu. Have a good rest of your day, Georgetown.